the terror that flaps in the night, and this is Bizarre Podcast Dogs Must Die. You can call me Grant. His name is Chip. Technically not, but you know the square. <gasps> we And we are finishing today the first season of Stardust Crusaders with episodes 23 and 24, The High Priestess. Mm. Upon rewatching this, I do believe uh, I was right from last episode that there's a lot of extra scenes added here <laughs> to make this more than a one episode fight to end the season on. Yeah, there is an episode and a half of fight. Even that portion has some uh, uh, anime original sequences. Mm-hmm. I, like I checked the manga and like this fight goes over very quickly. <laughs> it's like the length of the sun fight normally. Mm-hmm. But they do, like like you said, the things they added do bring it to, if not a conclusion, at least the, the end of a chapter. Yeah. You know, something that you could say, ha, huh, and now I wait a few months. <laughs> yeah. Rather than, oh, I, come on, months? Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, this episode, episode 23, starts with another one of the very rare previously on segments. Just mm-hmm. basically saying, like, yo, Avdol's alive, and he's got a submarine. <laughs> Time to get in the sub. So, yeah, once again, it's everything that came after the rim shot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, they, they've gotten in the, their very goofy-looking submarine. Yellow and orange striped submarine. Mm-hmm. They, are, they are taking this sub into the Red Sea. Mm-hmm. Very sorry this episode has another, like, kind of cute, like transition shot where you're seeing the sub underwater and then a giant pair of hands comes to grab it and yes. then it fades into Abdul's hands grabbing onto like the the wheel. Yeah, we, we get a hand wipe here basically. Yeah. Uh, I, and it symbolically shows as if, you know, him holding the wheel didn't that Abdul is in control. He has the submarine in his hands. Yeah. yeah I, I get you. All right. Yeah. Okay. I don't know if it needed that extra underlining, but I appreciate the, the visual texture. Uh, <laughs> and Polnareff is hanging out right behind Avdol in the driver's seat, going like, do you know how to drive a sub? And Avdol's just like, yeah. <laughs> well, he says, yeah, but he does his new catchphrase going, tisk tisk, sonic finger wag, and then going, yeah. <laughs> how, who... Who brought them the submarine? Because Avdol was there before the submarine reached the yeah. island. And he flew. He Who, flew. Wait a minute. Does it have autopilot, the submarine? <laughs> I mean, judging on later parts of this episode, I think it might have autopilot. It, it is kitted out. They love, they love the submarine. They love to hang out in the submarine. They love to talk about all the different uh, <laughs> uh, doodads and greebles all over the submarine. Oh, man. They love it. The narrator loves to talk about the Red Sea and how pristine and perfect and, and like a, a scuba diver's paradise it is. Yeah. And I'm sure it is lovely, but nothing is as free from pollution as the narrator says the Red Sea is. <laughs> For one thing, all those tourists he's talking about dump a lot of plastic. It's mm-hmm. a problem. Mm-hmm. I like when Polnareff and Avdol are talking about driving the sub and then joseph implies that maybe he'll get to drive the sub at some point and jitaro immediately goes no please don't (laughs) everything joseph drives explodes or crashes or something else bad happens to it it is analogous to a plane it is okay it's not a seaplane because that is a thing which is mostly a plane yeah kakyoin is marveling that like wow as a 17 year old boy this is my first time being in a submarine (laughs) 
and they they clarify here that this isn't like a military submarine thing. This is a rich person submarine. Yeah, they they talk about how rich people love to go like do undersea adventures, and you're just talking about James Cameron. That's yeah. it. He's the only guy. Yeah. This submarine is huge. On the inside, it is spacious. Mm-hmm. This is a this is a submarine for pleasure. This ain't. At any point, they're going to turn to the camera and tell me about exciting new financing options with no money down <laughs> yeah. on this submarine. They 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 really talk the sub up a lot. They Kakuin marvels that there's coffee cups in he here. He counts them. There's a big one by one. By the way, they're they're a lot. They're all. Uh, arranged in a way where you could just glance at him and go oh there's five cups here but he's like one two three four oh there's five cups here hey there's five of they're us. arranged in an x it's like a, the five side of, of a die like you yeah. don't need to count them marveling that there's a there's a satellite phone in the mm-hmm. sub and so joseph tells everyone everyone shut up i have to make very important they even call. have a drinks fridge with coca-cola <laughs> joseph's favorite drink <laughs> from way back when. yeah so yeah, Joseph's saying, okay, got to make a call now, and the camera wipes over to uh, New, New York, York City. City, where it's 3 p.m., which puts it at 9 p.m. in Egypt, I think, if I did that right. Yeah, I think. And who is in New York, but of course, newly aged, I guess not newly, she took a while getting there, Susie Q, <laughs> 50 years after we last saw her, and she is yeah. still having the debate she's been having her entire adult life. <laughs> The white dress or the pattern dress. Yeah. And while she's debating over this, we get a really quick close-up shot of a pamphlet on the table. And this, like, she's in, like, a high-rise apartment, like, real high up. It's huge in there. But we see a uh, a charity concert for peace mm-hmm. sponsored by the New York mayor, Smokey mm-hmm. Brown. <laughs> that That is the event she's deciding what to wear, you know, to, to go attend. Charity mm-hmm. concerts... Like, in this era, we're big. We're only a few years uh, post-Live Aid. Mm. And if you look at the lineup of all the bands that played Live Aid, uh, especially the, the one of the two uh, uh, simultaneous concerts in Philadelphia, not the UK one, just mm-hmm. chock full of bands that have been made JoJo characters we've already seen. <laughs> <laughs> I would That's not great. be shocked if by the end of this we've seen like at least like eight out of 10 bands as Jojo characters. <laughs> Cars is in there. Yeah. Ario Speedwagon, like some heavy hitters. Mm-hmm. Both Dire and Straits were represented in Live Aid. Oh, nice. And a lot of people that like, I'm kind of surprised haven't been Jojos yet. Like Elvis Costello mm. or any of Elvis Costello's songs, really surprised we haven't seen mm. them yet. I think there might be. There, by this point, there has to be. <laughs> Like, I've, I haven't gone beyond part five, but at this point, there's got to be. <laughs> yeah, Susie Q is trying to pick these dresses, and she's got, like, a, a manservant, a butler? I don't know. It's an older gentleman whose name is, is Rosis. Rosis, a localized form of roses, as in guns <laughs> Yeah. Have we seen him in... We have not. He is think, really yeah. like prominently featured, and I'm like, oh, this guy's some sort of he. He's important. He's he's gonna be a spy. He's gonna stab <laughs> Susie Q in the back. He doesn't. Oh, he no. seems chill, actually. Yeah, but he's just really prominently uh, uh, shown without being introduced, which is immediately suspicious. Yeah, that's like code for stand user in every other episode. <laughs> yeah. So Susie Q answers the phone. You know, starts talking to Joseph, and Joseph is hiding a lot of stuff from her mm-hmm. like Abdul goes on to explain 
the the rest of the the cast here that it's better to just not have Susie Q know about all the terrible shit we're going through. Like she knows that Holly is sick, but she thinks she just has pneumonia. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The, the whole point of these regular calls is to keep Susie Q comforted and yeah. home. Because if she gets on a plane to go see her sick daughter, she's going to know about all this stand business and be up in, in Dio's whole deal. And that's what we don't want. And like, yeah. so Joseph has been uh, stealing moments away to, to call home and keep her, her placated. And so Abdul presents this as a strategic gambit in order to you know manage people. But... Can a guy just want to talk to his wife? Like, <laughs> come on, come man. On. If I was away on either a business trip or a globe-trotting supernatural battle adventure, I'd want to call home every once in a while. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, some of the some of this stuff here is new stuff for for the anime. I don't think you ever really see Suzy Q in the manga at all. Mm-hmm. So that that's a nice addition to see to see her again. Mm-hmm. After talking to Susie Q for a bit, Joseph has her pass the phone over to to Roses, uh, and he he's in on this. Yeah, he knows uh, everything. Roses, the instant he starts talking about this, he is sweating profusely. He, uh, <laughs> this dude cares too much. Maybe he is just emotionally wrecked <laughs> about this whole thing. So super nervous that Susie Q is going to find out, and he's doing everything in his power to just kind of like. With Suzy Q just like point, like, look over there. Let's look at this. Let's stop talking about this, please. <laughs> but I, I, I like this uh, look at their relationship 50 years later because, like, they do clearly really like each other and enjoy mm-hmm. each other's company. And the way they've both mellowed out over 50 years, <laughs> yeah, they seem a lot more stable, actually. Yeah. This phone call goes on for a while as they talk about things. It goes on long enough for me to think about, like, wouldn't it be fun, though, if Holly just, like, dug deep and and bared down and found the the will to overcome uh, her Stan's birth? Wouldn't that be nice? I I have always wanted an alternate Stardust Crusaders where Holly learns to use her stand and fights also. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, she doesn't even need to fight. She just needs to, like, survive. I would love yeah. it if she fought. Absolutely. Maybe but... she's got Maybe she's got a really weird stand that's, like, useful in day-to-day life. I don't know. Like, there, there is the perhaps rumor, perhaps uh, official thing that Holly's stand might have been intangibility that, that we talked about oh, on yeah. our last guest episode, which is just a wonderful idea that the mom who has no boundaries has no boundaries. <laughs> that would be really good, actually. Right. <laughs> Yeah. I, I know that twist of the story would take away the, the ticking clock that is motivating them. But mm. at this point, do we need a ticking clock to motivate us? Like, it's fucking Dio, though. Yeah. Like, just having Dio around is enough of a threat, I think, even without a ticking <laughs> clock. It's we just... don't need <laughs> extra reason to want to punch Dio. We just want to punch Dio. Dio caused a fuckload of problems in about a week's time, I think. <laughs> A lot of part one happens over a very short period of time. Like, he goes to that city, he turns them all into zombies in a week, and, like, it's bad. Now that the phone call ha- has ended, uh, we get, like, this shot of something rushing towards the submarine real quick. And Actually, w- one last thing in, in the phone oh. call. Uh, the yeah. phone call, uh, before it ends, they've been talking so long that uh, Rosis serves tea. Yeah. And Susie Q seems absolutely shocked that her servant would serve tea. 
Yes. As if this <laughs> has never happened before in what we will learn is 30 years of service. Yeah. Yeah. I think she actually walks in and made the tea herself. And then he's just like, no, 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 I'll do it. <laughs> what? I thought you were just our driver. It's what you're dressed like. Uh. So Polnareff is driving the submarine now, and that seems bad. <laughs> he's immediately like running the side of the submarine into stuff, and, and Abdul's getting very annoyed at this. So the way they're going to get into Egypt, because like Abdul pulls, you know, brings up uh, the periscope and he's just like, yo, I can just like see the coast of Africa from here. We're getting real close. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There is in the Red Sea, apparently a, a natural tunnel that they're going to drive the submarine in that goes about 200 meters inland and they're going to surface the sub there. <laughs> yes. I, I guess the whole idea of the submarine was to take advantage of this tunnel in case, I guess, Dio set up shore defenses. Yeah. Or had a spy in every port, which are both reasonable ideas, actually. Yeah. At this point, yeah. You know, they're they're getting real close. Abdul just told him the, the, the plan to go through that tunnel. They sit down to take another sip of, of coffee or Coca-Cola or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Jotaro immediately goes, yo, there's six cups here. We have a Sesame Street-like concern for the counting <laughs> of household objects. Wait a minute. Joseph is, you know, going like, oh, that's weird. Six cups, huh? He picks up his cup, and the cup immediately has a big knife hand mm-hmm. shoot out of it, cut his whole robot hand off, and then shoot fingernails or something into the bottom of his face, like like <laughs> under his chin. Multiples of them... They dig in a little deep. Some blood shoots out. He, Joseph immediately passes out. The the best part is that not only does the whole robot hand come off, but in midair, the pinky of the robot hand gets cut off for at least the third time across Stardust yes. Crusaders. Yeah, that pinky is having a bad time this whole trip. At this point, he needs to get, like, the next robot hand he gets needs to have, like, a super reinforced pinky. That needs to be mm-hmm. the strongest part. Make that out of even stronger materials. So we, we get a look at uh, th- this new stand, this shape-shifting coffee cup stand, uh, in its natural form, which is sort of like a liquid metal thing whose base form is a kabuki goalie mask on the honeycomb cereal mascot. <laughs> yeah. This thing wants honeycomb real bad. <laughs> yeah. God, I forgot about the honeycomb mascot. <laughs> I don't think that thing's been using, like... 15 years or something. That thing's a killer, man. It'll tear you up. Yeah, that thing's fucking crazy. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's it's just this fucking face with arms grown out of it. It is just always like hissing and screaming. Mm-hmm. It doesn't talk at all. No, no, but it loves to scream. <laughs> it loves to scream. As Kakuin is like pulling up uh, unconscious Joseph, this is one of the stands that Avdol already knows about. Now that mm-hmm. we got him back, we can start getting more stand stand recon. So th- this thing, we've seen it love to shapeshift. It uh, forms blades from its hands. Mm-hmm. It's made of liquid metal. And this chapter was published a year before Terminator 2 hit theaters. So there oh, you shit. go. Nice. Speaking of James Cameron, I guess. Yeah. So Abdul introduces this stand. He knows its user is named Rose. Mm-hmm. This stand can turn into anything that is made out of minerals, like yes. metal or glass, plastics even. Anything that is comprised of that, it can just shapeshift into that. Then when you don't know what it is, you'll put your hand on it and it will turn into knives and make you <laughs> feel very bad. Yeah. 
when it attacked Joseph, like Jotaro tried to swing at it, but it, it was able to leap out of the way and it just jumped onto a part of the submarine and just like melted and fused into it. And mm-hmm. now it's just anywhere. This stand is the High Priestess. Mm-hmm. Uh, the High Priestess tarot card stands for secrets, mystery, the future as yet unrevealed. If the querent is male, the card represents the woman who interests him. If the querent is female, the card represents the querent herself. This, mm. this is another gender-locked tarot card. <laughs> That's so stupid. Also, silence, tenacity, mystery, wisdom, and science. Mm. Uh, I can I can see secrets and mystery for sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, just for it being being able to disguise and hide itself. Maybe not the future stuff. as yet unrevealed, but the object itself unrevealed. That's something. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. So they're trying to figure out how the high priestess even got in, and it just cut a hole into the sub and just became one of the random gauges. Mm-hmm. And so now that she's the the stand isn't that gauge anymore. Water is just starting to pour into the sub now. And this thing is designed not based on any sort of actual submarine, but like <laughs> yeah, like a, a sleek modern sci-fi submarine. Like yeah, th- this is like third generation super marionation kind of design going on in, in here. Yeah, th- this is, this feels like a submarine I would see on an old book about mm-hmm. like a fantasy like underwater adventure or something it's it's real goofy while the whole submarine is flooding the phone has been ringing <laughs> and so jotaro just goes like stops just turns around and just picks up the phone and it's Susie q again mm-hmm. and she has more things to say to her husband god darn it <laughs> yeah and jotaro's just being quiet for a bit and she can hear the alarm klaxons going on in the background. <laughs> she can hear water rushing in. And she's like, "What the? where the fuck are you? That's a rowdy hotel you're in. Because <laughs> this is, of course, a, a business trip for some sort of real estate deal, obviously. Yeah, uh-huh. And Jotaro finally talks after, you know, several seconds of silence here and just says, hey, the old man can't g- come to the phone right now. And then he says, quote, he's going to be just fine because I'm right here with him. And oh, my heart. Oh, my heart. Yeah. Just take this clip, send it like back in time to me for for like first Stardust Crusaders episode. Yeah. Okay. It's going to be okay. Yeah. Like I said, it's a it's a Uh. real slow burn with him, but it's good. Mm hmm. And yet he really only says like two or three things to Susie, to Susie Q, to his grandma, mm-hmm. before he just hangs up. But yeah, he just says like, it's going to be okay. We'll call you once things settle down. Click. And she's like, oh, shit, that's my grandson. I haven't talked to him in like forever. I, he's a good boy. Yeah, we get it. We see when she's talking about how, how he's such a good boy, we get another uh, picture of Jotaro. Honestly, it looks like only a year or two previous, like prior. Because mm-hmm. he's, he's still really tall and huge, but his facial features are way softer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was like over the course of a year or two, puberty hit him so hard that his face became square instead of oval. <laughs> and, and he was in a non-customized school uniform. It was just like base school uniform. Once he discovered that giant chain link that he could put on his collar, that's when he became a bad boy, I think. He went to a store and discovered buttons and like, shit, now oh, now we're shit. gone. Here we go. Yeah. This whole time, tension is setting in. And like, this is why submarines are great for drama. Because on the one hand, they're this like emblem of engineering's power uh, to, to go anywhere, do anything. But they're also inherently risky. They are big wet coffins. <laughs> 
they're trying to determine which gauge uh, the high priestess has has morphed into. Jotaro is not tapping on the gauges himself, but having Star Platinum's hand reach out to grab them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And as he's about to go tap on one, Polnareff, or not Polnareff, uh, Avdol feels, he just gets a weird feeling, looks to his right, and not any of the gauges, but some type of, just some other random instrument that's not a gauge mm-hmm. that's like mounted on the wall. Around this time, though, Polnareff shouts, it's like every vehicle we use gets destroyed. <laughs> Oh, yes, I forgot. Somebody yeah. forgot that sweet carriage they rode in on to, to be right. the, the super to wacky be royal. Yeah, the super wacky royal carriage is the only thing, I think, that has not been destroyed. I guess the I guess the, the really fancy car they bought also because they traded it for camels in... Within like two hours, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, the, the train that they rode uh, mm. uh, from Singapore on, yeah. That's right, the train. If they just stayed on that train and laid a lot of new tracks so it would go all the way to Egypt, they would have been fine. <laughs> yeah. As far as part five, there's never been a stand that's a train, but if I remember correctly, there is some like jojo novelization out there that has like a, a giant evil train stand <laughs> it had a really great name oh, i can't remember what it was called though i have to look that up i mean it's it would be called drops of jupiter I, i'd imagine mm, uh, <laughs> maybe. so yeah this random instrument behind kakuin is actually the high priestess and abdul is seeing it morph in slow-mo but he's too far away to like react in time there is this super expressive like fluid shifting perspective animation on avdol as he spots the stand and calls yes. it out and yeah. then we, we go back into like standard mode for for just a second but then when uh, uh hierophant green comes up we, we jump right back up in, into that same mode as the camera continues to to spin and shift around they're, they're just going for it man yeah that part looks really good but Abdul is able to warn Kakuin just in time for him to dodge out of the way of High Priestess just slashing at his face. Uh, it's too fast for Hierophant Green. It's able to dodge out of the way, and as it leaps off the wall, it's able to get a like a clean shot on Kakuin's neck, and you know, just blood spurting everywhere. And I've I've just enamored with this little gremlin that hops around, screams, and turns into goo. <laughs> That's all it does. That's all it does. It appears, screams at you, stabs you, screams again, and then it's goo. Yeah, and it's like, it it is another saying that feels like tailor-made to fight people when they're in a submarine or a a ship, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Abdul's just like, we just gotta, we gotta get the fuck out of this room and somewhere else. The air is starting to get thin in here. Uh, and he goes to reach for the door and start turning the wheel on it to you know, depressurize it and, and go in. Uh, and as he grabs the wheel and starts turning it, it's the high priestess again. <laughs> and it's, like its face is just on the center of it. Its evil arms come out. It's about to uh, slice him up. Mm-hmm. And he's just thinking in slow motion like, oh boy, I'm fucked. I should let go of this wheel, but uh-oh. And just as he's about to get slashed by the high priestess, Star Platinum just reaches in from out of frame and just grabs it. Yeah, just holds yeah. it in both his hands. And uh, uh, so, so now we have the High Priestess uh, restrained in Star Platinum's generous grip. But Star Platinum isn't all out. It's just the arms coming out. And yeah. I do not like the way they're coming out right now. <laughs> yeah. Because they aren't coming out of, like, uh, uh, JoJo's shoulders, but, like, his torso. Like, he's got tummy yes. arms. And I do not like the tummy arms. Yeah, tummy and kind of like the rib area. Yeah, it's weird. But, like, Jotaro just has this between, like, in a vice grip. He's just, like, about to just crush it between his, mm-hmm, between mm-hmm. Star Platinum's hands. 
And he, like, kind of sarcastically, I guess, he's just like, what should I do with this? And Polnareff just tells him, yo, you should probably just kill that. And he says, aye, aye, Captain. <laughs> and as he's about to crush it, uh, the high priestess's face, like, stretches really wide, and it turns into a giant razor blade. Yes, yes. And so as Star Platinum's trying to crush it, it just, like, just cuts its hands up real bad in this huge razor blade. Uh, and the high priestess is able to escape and just... At this point, it's not even turning into goo right away. It's just attaching itself to the ceiling and just laughing at them a whole lot. <laughs> I love it. This thing starts taunting a lot at this point. <laughs> if the mascot really acted like this, I might have actually bought honeycomb cereal. <laughs> God, that thing was disturbing. I did not like that thing. <laughs> Maybe the high priestess is what happens if the honeycomb mascot uh, drinks a Capri Sun and gets those oh, uh, no. uh, liquid metal shape-shifting powers. Yeah, it gets the Alex Mack powers, yeah. <laughs> So now it's it's Polnareff's turn to try to attack this thing, and he goes to stab it while it's on the ceiling, but it could just turn into metal, so it just solidifies into, like, steel, and he can't pierce it at all with his sword. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And everyone else goes, okay, it's just time to leave. We got to go to a different part of the sub. <laughs> and Jotaro just sta- stays for a little bit with his hands in his pocket, just staring down this thing, then declares out loud, I, Jotaro Kujo, will be the one to end you. <laughs> Uh, and then he does finally leave, and they close the door behind all of them. But meanwhile, yeah. back in New York. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's nighttime at this point. Susie Q is a little worried at mm-hmm. first, but she's just reminiscing about Jotaro. It's been so long since she's she's heard his voice. I don't think she actually went to that benefit concert. No. And that's why we don't have peace. She did not go. Oh. But yeah, this is where we actually get that shot of a slightly younger Jotaro looking like a, a much nicer boy back then look at that huge ass penthouse though and tell me that joseph didn't just buy the mayoralty race for Smokey. <laughs> he's not even from new york you think people are gonna vote for him mm, yeah not without a massive advertising budget they're not guy did Smokey do like the the fucking like andrew yang thing of like mm, sure dude love a new york slice and he's eating like a sandwich or something instead like just completely <laughs> clueless I love to shop at the Bodega. <laughs> the Bodega. <laughs> God damn. Yeah, she keeps talking about, you know, how nice Jotaro is and oh, he must be helping out my my husband. Uh, you know, I you know, this is fine, you know, whatever's going on. Roses is kind of doing the speed wagon thing of being overwhelmed by the nobility and the hardships <laughs> that the yeah. Jojo family is the, the Joestar family is going through because mm-hmm. he is facing away from her while she's saying all this stuff and just like his mouth his hand is over his mouth and he is struggling to hold back tears yes which is also the smoky thing speaking of our beloved mayor yeah. uh because uh, it's not only just how noble the Joestar family is but that you know they're doing this under the the burden of secrets, and they yes. they don't even know all the things they're doing. <laughs> yeah, I guess he's inherited the the title from Smokey now. Smokey's too busy running at least one city at a time. Yeah, and and we switch back to the action with yet another inventive transition. We crossfade, uh, but the the way the the layout of the shot works is it it. In the midst of the crossfade, it looks like Susie is watching over the sub as it yeah. sits on uh, uh, the sea floor. Like, okay, yeah, yeah, all right, go for it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> this submarine looks like a children's bath toy that got reimagined by a mechanical designer with all the little functional bits. Yeah. So the submarine at this point has just crashed on on the floor of the Red Sea. 
There's nothing they can do about it. So they're just getting ready to scuba dot to like scuba. They're just going to leave the sub. They're going to leave. They, they are 40 meters down on the seabed. Just for reference, the, uh, decompression sickness, the bends, is mm. a risk anytime you're more than 10 meters down. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so mm. there's a there's a part here, you know, you see everyone gearing up and, and putting all their stuff on. I really like the shot of joseph just stand like he can't put his gear on himself because he's missing a hand Mm -hmm. and so he's just sitting there running really fast in place (laughs) (laughs) the animation for that is really funny and then he asks jojo to help him out who replies do it yourself in a very (laughs) like angry dismissive tone all right so just take this clip send it back in time to me 20 (laughs) minutes ago yep actually he's a little shit who sucks fuck him And we we get a shot outside of the sub, like some of the, like Joseph's hand and stuff has already made it out of the sub and is just floating in the water. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the camera like pans over to the the floor of the Red Sea. And all we see is like, because it's just black, it's super dark in the distance. And we just see a giant mouth form and just smile. And that, that is the end of the, the first part here. This submarine is absolutely the mode of transit that went the shortest distance. Oh, yeah. This thing got fucked up immediately. It went from one unspecified location to a second unspecified location in the middle of the Red Sea. Yeah. So that brings us to episode 25, High Priestess, part two. And now we get to learn if Joseph is a better scuba instructor than he is a pilot. <laughs> Because nobody else here has ever scuba divin dived, divin. I think I had it right the first divin. time. Divin. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Scu- scuba divin. <laughs> uh, so Joseph is just putting on all of his stuff himself after Jotaro told him to do it himself. You know, it's like when you uh, uh, take your hand off the the bike seat before your kid knows you take your hand off. Like, yeah. 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 It's okay, Grandpa. You can strap on your own tank they're, they're not getting in wetsuits like i understand this would be difficult mm-hmm. but i don't see how it would be entirely impossible one-handed now joseph is backing me up on that yeah and avdol is immediately just telling joseph like please teach, teach us how to do this we none of us have any fucking clue <laughs> please uh, please please the water's coming in please joseph's first lesson never panic don't good. freak out good don't don't freak out. But he does actually bring up like, hey, we're gonna go through multiple atmospheres of pressure and stuff, and brings up the the whole all that stuff. Yeah, he even gets uh, the current pressure they're under correct. Uh, fifth, five atmospheres at forty meters deep is is the right number. Good job. Yeah, it is also considered the limit of recreational diving. <laughs> Ooh, okay. Yikes, that sucks for a first time. Now Joseph is going to continue to give the rest of the lessons while already filling up the the chamber they're in with water. He turns (laughs) on the crank to start letting the the, the water in their airlock before he even starts talking about the regulator. Yeah, they're like knee knee deep in water by the time he gets to the regulator. You have got to be so confident in your spiel and the exact (laughs) amount of time it takes to deliver and that there will be no follow-up questions. Uh, yeah, so he he goes through like how the regulator works and stuff, and Polnareff is immediately asking, "What about spit? Mm-hmm. What what about phlegm?" It, it all goes out the valve. They thought of that when they built it goes the thing. The it's fine. Yeah, and then he also reminds everyone, "We can't talk underwater when we have the regulator in our mouths." Mm-hmm. <laughs> Teaches them hand signals to say like things are good or things are real bad. Those are the only hand signals we need. They're the only ones we have time for. 
Although, Polnareff and Kakuin have, at some point, created an entire sign language between the two of them. Yes. <laughs> that yeah. has a, enough, like, complex syntax and vocabulary for Polnareff to do a few hand signs and Kakuin to, to know that means he can see your underwear. Yeah. There's a specific verb tense attached to that. And the instant Kakuin, like, Kakuin just, like, slides. He's behind Polnareff, completely obscured. And once he knows what he says, he just kind of tweens, pokes out from behind Polnareff's shoulder, goes like, ah, that means your underwear is showing. And then the instant he says that, they do a secret bro handshake that we've never seen before. (laughs) Very long, complex, multiple different arm bumps, elbow bumps, like. (laughs) Two things, two things about this. First, if if David Production can add all these like phone calls and other insert bits, I, I, I can remake a Stardust Crusaders adaptation that includes mm. the entire development of this sign language. Yeah, I it's want going that. to be three times as long. Uh, uh, <laughs> there will be far fewer stand fu- uh, stands per hour. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, they 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 should have developed this on the really long, boring train ride. Mm-hmm, That's mm-hmm. where that should happen. And second, the the handshake ends with the same like fist and elbow vertical slam that uh, uh, characters do in Hamlet and Rock. Oh shit! Yes, <laughs> it is. Wow, haven't yeah. thought about that in a long time. Yeah, <laughs> I still have that soundtrack somewhere in my hard drive back from when we linked it as a download for people to get during the very our very first Let's Play. <laughs> Should I talk about Hamlet and Rock? I should talk about Hamlet and let's, Rock. Let's talk about Hamlet and Rock real quick. So there is a a, a man in Germany. His name is Rudolf Volz. He mm-hmm. made something of a fortune in software development and then quit and decided, I make musicals now. I make <laughs> rock musicals out of classical, like early modern uh, uh, literature. And he made a, a bit of a local hit with a two-part rock opera of Goethe's Faust. And then he decided to turn his eyes on the English canon, specifically Hamlet by William Shakespeare. And so he he uh, adapted and wrote and composed this serviceable and entirely generic hard rock soundtrack. Yep. Uh, his writing process for the songs is to take the most famous quotes, and boy is Hamlet full of them, turn that into a repeated refrain and turn all the lines around them into the verses mm-hmm. and you get man like it's one way to learn a, a monologue <laughs> but boy you're never going to be able to say it straight again in your life <laughs> I just remember the the constant get thee to a nunnery or whatever. Oh yeah, oh yeah. He screams it that, over and over again. That that's the part that really has stuck in my my mind over the years. And then he got some friends and collaborators and and paid them to do a a, a demo production basically that he could film and shop mm. that around to investors. And a friend of mine in college, actually another one of my groomsmen, who, who you recall yep i don't know how he found it but he did <laughs> and like struck up like a pen pal relationship with rudolph volts and he came and hung out with us on campus for a weekend that's right <laughs> <God>. <laughs> 
there is a copy, a DVD copy of Hamlet and Rock, a thing that barely exists because I don't think it ever got picked up for the like live stage run that it that it mm. was being pitched for. And a, a lot of stories about all the things it could have been. It was originally meant to be set in space. The The huh. royal family would have been the only humans. Everybody else would have been like prosthetic makeup, uh, weirdo aliens in, in a huh. Star Wars mold that, that that never got followed through. And it... I did, Yeah, I did not know about that part. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's, that's fun. That's ridiculous. So at at some point, uh, I think it's Polonius and Claudius when they are sealing their their schemes together, do the exact same like raise your your fists up high and bump the <laughs> heels of your fists together so that your elbows also nearly bump that Kakuin and Polnareff end their oh their bro god. shake with. Oh my god, that's incredible! <laughs> Did he read part three and went, yeah, that part that part's cool i'm putting that in my musical <laughs> maybe 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 i want to see an iraqi interpretation of hamlet right i want to see that right i have to imagine just the costume designs would look so cool side by side with yes. like um jack kirby's like i think he did a hamlet or a julius caesar like jack Her- mm. jack kirby designed some far out costumes for some shakespeare play okay yeah, I really want to see that happen now. <laughs> it feels like not entirely out of the realm of possibility. Right? Araki's more into not literature so much as just art, but I feel like there's enough of an overlap that he would maybe do maybe do that. It probably couldn't be that difficult to integrate stands into any Shakespeare, right? <laughs> my thir- my second guess was right. It was a 1969 production of Julius Caesar that mm. uh, Kirby did, you gotta look at these costumes. Okay, I gotta. Yeah, I want to see this. Whoa, these are cool, right? And they actually look good on people in the photographs. It's not just like, yeah, this this sure is the guy that did the new gods, all right. But oh like, God. it works on people somehow. Damn. Yeah, these are really good. I especially like the second row, first one on the left. That guy, the the with the staff. I like that one a lot. That's just a soldier. That's not even a named character. Look at yeah, that. <laughs> I, I just really like his really long, pointy uh, shoulder pauldrons. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Those are cool as hell. <laughs> God, yeah, there really are, in later parts of JoJo, when the art style starts to change more and more, there really are some characters that look very influenced by Jack Kirby's stuff, actually. I'm excited to get to those parts. <laughs> so anyway, what's, what's the High Priestess up to lately? Oh, yeah. yeah. Secret Bro Handshake. But after that, they decide, wait a minute, we can just tell, uh, uh, communicate telepathically with our stance. Yeah, I can't remember if that's anime original or not. Talking through stands with the Blue Moon fight was a part of the manga. Mm-hmm. But then I don't think it gets brought up for this part that when it happens in the manga. And it's just like, wait a minute. <laughs> you established this thing earlier. Let's just do it again. Uh, which is what they actually do. They they do a combination of there, there's a moment where the hand signals come up, but there is plenty of speaking through stands while they're underwater. Polnareff starts flailing underwater because and everyone thinks he's just fucking up using the regulator. Mm-hmm. Then the regulator turns into the high priestess and starts chewing on Polnareff's lip. The high priestess as the regulator as this disc shaped object. That's just evil cool spot. Oh no, evil cool spot. <laughs> It, it's uncool spot. Uh, way uncool. 
So now we finally, with that sort of cliffhanger of uh, uh, Polnareff's been making out with an enemy stand, we get uh, the final OP of Stardust Crusader Season 1. That means it's sound effects time, baby. Yeah, time to bring the sound effects in. It's a fun tradition. The rapid fire punch sounds as Star Platinum punches in the title at the very beginning is overwhelming. (laughs) It's so loud. So like, I don't think I ever brought it up when we were talking about Part 2, but Part 2's sound mix is really distinctive in that sound effects are loud as fuck during mm-hmm. uh fight scenes to the point where they, like they sometimes purposefully blow out the levels <laughs> <laughs> to make certain sounds like mega impactful because they just get really distorted sounding and yeah that the star platinum punches for this part sound just like that if you're listening to this on like even just like a decent speakers that aren't tv speakers it scares the shit out of you like (laughs) god i don't think i've ever brought it up but the Mm -hmm. the just the way the op sells star platinum's power like uh, uh the first time he pops out side by side with jojo there's a notable screen shake there's a jiggle. Yeah. Like, the frame can't hold him. He's too punchy. <laughs> yeah, it's it's too much. It's too much. So yeah, this is the, the last time seeing this opening. I really like this one. But mm-hmm. the, the next one we'll get to see next episode also real good. There's no such thing as a bad JoJo OP, really. So so we get back to the action and uh, the mouth violence continues. Oh, boy. High Priestess was just one. This is real bad because the chambers completely fill up with water. There's no more air in here. Mm-hmm. Polnareff has no regulator. He's already, like, suffocating, like, drowning. And the High Priestess isn't just chewing on his lip anymore. It has gone in his mouth and is doing, like, a sonic spinball move on his mouth. Yes, to drill down and liquefy his organs from within. Star Platinum reaches out to to snatch the High Priestess, but it already burrows into Polnareff's mouth and then starts going down his throat, and you can see a big bulge in his throat as it travels down. It's fucked up. So with a one-two punch, the the tentacles of Hierophant Green and the vines of Hermit Purple both go through Polnareff's nose. Uh This is how they invent the neti pot. They go through (laughs) Polnareff's nose to drive uh, the high priestess back out from whence she came. Yeah, she she gets pulled out of of Polnareff's throat, exposed, and it's like, okay, we're about to attack it. But it morphs again and turns into a harpoon gun. Mm -hmm. The the harpoon launches out of the gun. Yes. And then it's not just a projectile, but rather it's being commanded and whipped around as if it's a sword. So Polnareff gets into a sword fight with this this fucking harpoon. It's amazing. (laughs) It's really good. Uh, but they're they're able to escape from the chamber. They close the hatch down with the harpoon gun. High Priestess still in there. They lock it in. Which helped so much last time. Uh, oh, yeah. So now, though, out scuba diving in the water, I think they have a terrain advantage. There's not mm. a lot of mineral-based stuff to hide as, so long as they keep a few meters above the seafloor itself. Yeah. They've got, like, this insulating layer of coral, which is an animal... So it's safe. <laughs> mm-hmm. So Polnareff has completely lost, you know, he has no regulator and he's completely lost his uh, oxygen tank. But there's an, a second regulator on Jotaro's tank. So they're just sharing the same air tank. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So yeah, they're, they're just swimming up and they're, they're saying it's essentially what you said. Like, you know, we're probably a lot safer here, especially as we swim further and further up from the, the floor. They're using their stand telepathy, which means no need to match lip flaps. Something for which I am always grateful. Oh, yeah. 
um, and they're they're continuing to swim, and they're getting really close to the shore. And they're like, they point straight ahead, like, "Hey, let's just keep going." All right, and they just start swimming over this uh, part of the ocean floor, which suspiciously looks like it has a nose. Yeah, they they see not just one but two underground tunnels. And think, hey, it's the tunnel we're after. Let's go there. And that is clearly the nose of a giant. Yeah. And then a second later, you see that there's a ridge of of rocks nearer them where a mouth might be. And like, oh, shit. Oh, shit. And then I realize, (laughs) oh, she's the seabed now. Yep. About three seconds before anyone else does. Yep. It, it it can emote in everything. It's mm-hmm. it, like it's got facial muscles and it just opens its mouth and it just inhales and it just sucks everyone. It just sucks the whole party up in, into its mouth. This is when I decide I really like this fight. <laughs> yeah. Being able to predict what's coming is in a sense a positive because that means it is playing by the rules. It is setting up and delivering on expectations and where mm-hmm. it surprises you is in the details, in, you know, the... the the scale and the the extent of it because like immediately i thought oh high priestess is just this little little hair gremlin that Mm -hmm. nose is clearly a nose but of something else i don't know and then like oh shit high priestess got big (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's a twist i also like this twist because it it keeps the high priestess from just being almost sort of a retread of um of strength where it's mm-hmm. a thing that can fuse into the walls and appear elsewhere. Yeah, so they just get sucked up into this thing's mouth, and they're just fucked. They're just in there. There's big teeth in the way. <laughs> big teeth. So we've had stands in people. Now we have people in a stand. Mm-hmm. And this is actually uh, also the part where you get to hear the voice of Rose, the stand user. Yes. Um, she is, you know, she can control this stand from a decent ways away. And you briefly see her, but it's just her silhouette. You, the camera just looks up and just above the water, you can see this woman just standing on the shore. And she is gloating as uh, uh, villainous stand users in, in their moment of triumph tend to do. <laughs> mm-hmm. Talking about how it's a shame that they'll never get to see her face. Uh, especially for for Jojo, because he's kind of her type. Mm. Ma'am, he is a minor. (laughs) Ma'am, please. He might be 400 pounds of hunk, but he is a (laughs) minor. Some of those pounds are chain, actually. And the gang gang can hear her, too, because she's talking through the stand. And Polnareff immediately goes... I think she might be hot. And like he he, uh, uh, whispers a bunch of stuff into Jojo's ear and like, if Polnareff gave me wingman advice, I would not do the exact opposite. Yeah. But I would do closer to the exact opposite than following his instructions to the letter. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So everyone is saying like really flattering stuff to her now. Yeah, yeah, Jojo flexes his least used superpower is that just the ladies love him so much. Yeah. And he's like, oh, baby, it is a shame that I won't get to see your face. I bet it's a really good face. Yeah, pulling up going like, I bet she's gorgeous. And and (laughs) Avdol, you know, saying like, indeed, I'm a fortune teller. I know these things. I get the impression that from her voice that she's a very elegant woman. Mm -hmm. And then Kakuin goes, I think she sounds like Audrey Hepburn. (laughs) (laughs) And Joseph says, if I were 30 years younger. (laughs) 
but this just enrages her. And that also makes the inside of the mouth glow a different color. It's yes, very like red yes. and pink in there now. Let, let's talk about Rose the stand user, because I don't think we're going to get a chance to uh, yeah. uh, later. Uh, Rose is the localized name for Midler, as in Bette Midler. Yep. They say it comes from Bette Midler's song, The Rose, which is one of those like enduring, easy listening classics that I don't think anyone would recognize from the title, but you've mm. probably heard it. Okay, yeah. I say bullshit. I think she was named for Bette Midler's uh, uh, performance as Mama Rose in the 1993 uh, uh, TV movie production of Gypsy, for uh. which she won a Golden Globe. <laughs> That makes a little more sense to me. <laughs> Seems a little more relevant. Her her career has had a lot of roses in it, including the the brassiest, most stagey, because that's what they were going for in, in this TV movie version, mm-hmm. rendition of Rose's Turn, which is a, a nervous breakdown. The, the sound of madness set to music. <laughs> Bernadette Peters is the best uh, uh, at Rose's turn, actually, if you want my opinion. And you do, because it's good (laughs) and correct. All right. Uh, It's hard to watch Bette Midler do it because it was made the same year, and they did her hair almost exactly the same as her part in Hocus Pocus. (laughs) Oh. So I can't not see Winifred Sanderson when I'm supposed to see Mama Rose. Oh boy. It's very disorienting. Oh man. Why oh man. <laughs> God. Why would you do that? <laughs> so I should mention that like because Rose here is above the the water here, you never actually get a clear look at her? No. No, no. There is like an official like character design for her, but it was only made years, years later when I was just like, we need to fill out our fighting game roster. What does this <laughs> lady look like? We, we will describe what she looks like later. Turns mm. out uh, every day but today, she's some sort of belly dancer. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And by the time she was drawn, it was like way later. So Araki, his art style had already drastically changed. So there is no like, there is no look of for her that matches the part three art style. She already has like the, the look of like a part six or seven mm-hmm. uh, Jojo character by the time she was drawn. But yeah, every, the whole cast is trying to compliment her and that just pisses her off. Yeah, she sees right through it. And so we get uh, uh, a much less common form of mouth violence. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Jojo and Star Platinum get munched on. Yeah. So the stand has a tongue. It has a giant tongue that just lifts up and flings everyone around Mm -hmm. and tosses Jojo straight onto one of its molars and the mouth is just coming down the chomp on him. And so we're hearing psychic communications from from Rose talking about how uh, powerful her stand's teeth are. Yes. Because she goes to the stand dentist every other month and she drinks nothing but stand fluoride. And like, these, <laughs> these are powerful teeth. The rest of the cast trying to save Jojo. They have to get away from the tongues. So uh, I like this. Hierophant Green extends its tentacles and just wraps the rest of the gang up in it so it can hold them up in the air away from the tongue. <laughs> yes, it's very good. It's a good combo attack, which gives like... Which gives Avdol like the the height and clearance he needs to aim Magician's Red around properly at, at uh, more beneficial angles. It's good. It's very good. Yeah, Joseph is trying to shoot Hierophant Purple out to grab Jotaro before he gets crushed. You see, uh, 
Jotaro's like only his arm hanging out from the teeth, like reaching out like, God, please help me as he gets crushed. <laughs> but uh, all their efforts are too late as the, the teeth crush down together and explode the oxygen tank that mm. Jotaro was wearing. Symbolic of, I guess, his head doing the same thing. Yeah. I'm not worried, though. He probably found some way to tunnel underground. I, it's... <laughs> he loves to tunnel underground. But yeah, the, the teeth completely chomped down. Everyone's just like, oh, no, for a split second until they hear like a weird muffled noise. Mm-hmm. And Joseph Mila goes, oh, we should just hang back. Let's just take a couple steps back as the uh, muffled sound becomes clearer and clearer that it's just star platinum and Jotaro just shouting aura, aura, aura over mm-hmm. and over as it just starts... <laughs> busting through the teeth just punching clear through the teeth and he doesn't just escape by just punching a hole through the tooth he was under he just punches out all of the teeth out of the stand every single one there's a really good animation of star platinum like you know doing its punch rush and just kind of like strafing to the side like a (laughs) like it's a a first person shooter something just demolishing every tooth one after another uh and that just fucks the stand up real good just mm-hmm. punching all of his teeth out, and they're able to just swim out, reach the surface. By the time they see Rose, the stand user, you don't get to see her that much because her no. teeth have exploded. No, like I love, I love that uh, she keeps her promise of "you'll never see my face," or at least she keeps it to us, the viewer. I think that that is like a creatively fun touch. Uh, Polnareff goes up to see if she's as hot as she hoped, <laughs> as he hoped she would be. But turns out she's not because her mouth exploded a thousand times. Yeah, like she's still alive, but she's just on her back and she's just like twitching (laughs) because her face is fucking exploded. What I'll say I don't like is that while we don't see her face, we do see a shot straight down her cleavage instead. Oh, yeah, that's right. That That's the view we get of the boys coming up over the beach is it's over right. the front and, and like down her dress. Ugh, yeah. And like like we said earlier, like official art of her as she was redesigned when people are curious, like what, what's she like when she's not unconscious is this like heightened, uh, very, very stylized, practically nude belly dancer. Yep. Whereas her one depiction, uh, uh, the one ma- manga panel and the one anime shot you really see her in, she's just wearing a normal dress. <laughs> yeah, she's just got dress and like some high heels on or something. She just yeah. looks kind of like a normally dressed lady. <laughs> she's just a lady out running errands. Her errand happened to be standing on the Egyptian beach trying to sink a submarine. <laughs> <laughs> By the time they, they've gotten up on the beach here, the sun is rising. Now, it's a very pretty day. They line up in a similar way to the way they line up at the end of episode three. When they're all like, let's go, you know. Uh, One major change, there's a fifth guy. (laughs) Yeah, there's a fifth guy now. But but yeah, they're they're just looking at the sun come up. It's been 30 days uh, to get halfway around the world. So they are on par. Like, uh, good job. Yeah. And, and they talk about the journey so far. Kakuin mentions, you know, uh, uh, going into dreams and going into Joseph's brain. And everybody's like, what What do you mean dreams? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Now that I think about it, do not ask me about the dreams. I made that baby eat poop. Let's skip that one. End yeah. of discussion. Let's, let's skip the evil baby. But it is interesting how the examples he gives are both from so late in the journey. And it goes to show how things became so much more, I guess, conceptual as they went. Mm. There, there is nothing... Talking about a hotel room ambush just doesn't have the same, like, breadth when, when you lay it out like that. Yeah. And so here, the, the narrator kicks back in and we kind of get a quick 
breakdown of the the whole journey so far with a map overlaid with footage from previous episodes and you know who it they sounds fought when. like he's introducing jotaro to accept his lifetime achievement award <laughs> it, yeah it kind of does uh so so yeah as the line moves across the map from beginning to end, we, we also get a lot of like uh, uh, transparent clips of all those adventures going through. Toilet mm. Pig returns. Yes, Toilet Pig. Gotta call out Toilet Pig. And the narrator concludes, or, or nearly concludes, by saying, only a few tarot cards remain. Two. Mm-hmm. Two. There's only two of the major arcana. And I don't think we're going to switch to minor ones, because how do you go from yeah. death to like the six of cups? Whoa. Like that's Whoa. nobody. Nobody cares. Just you wait until you get the raddest stand ever. That's a cup. <laughs> Six of them. Ah. Six deadly cups. Well, we all we kind of had that already today, though. So never mind. <laughs> but yeah, the narrator also says, you know, the gang doesn't know about the, the further threats that await them. And as he says that, it, it fades to Cairo, I believe. We see, late at night, a single speed wagon agent doing reconnaissance yes he's doing like he's counting people in robes from a a dark hotel room through the shades with binoculars like he's doing secret agent shit but his speed wagon foundation uniform looks (laughs) like you know an hvac repair guy he's got a big old speed wagon foundation logo across the back of his jumpsuit (laughs) yeah yeah, he, he's counting all these mysterious figures in robes. As he does that, he hears a noise from behind him. He turns around, and before he can even react, somebody approaches him and slices his whole damn head off. So he has a normal head and neck, and mm-hmm. then in a single frame, uh, his whole neck just is totally blacked out, and there's a tiny spurt of blood that comes yes. over that shadow. Yeah. The, the sudden censorship of the neck gore looks like a light on the film set burned out and they just it kept does. that take. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now I can't see shit. As that dude's head just slides off his body, for the first time in quite a while, we get it's to see and hear forever. Dio. yeah. Dio is doing uh, Dio shit. He's obscured in shadow, mostly reading a book. You think Dio remembers Speedwagon? I wonder. If you were to ask resurrected Dio what his thoughts are, you know, cast your memory back about my good friend Robert O. What would he say? I feel like Dio would just barely remember him. Just like bring it up and he's just like, who? Oh, oh, yeah, whatever. (laughs) Oh, guy with the hat. That wasn't even his hat? What the The fuck? The guy that... That guy kicked a candle at me, and that, I think that was about it. I think I sh- <laughs> obliterated every bone in his arm or something. I don't know. Yeah, but, but Dio is talking about... He, he's asking new secret henchmen if the Speedwagon agent has been taken care of. Mm-hmm. You know, continues to walk down this library or hallway. He starts talking to himself and Jonathan. He starts talking to Jonathan about how he's finally started to get used to this new body of his. Asking if Jonathan can feel his family approaching because Dio can feel Jonathan's family approaching. As the camera pans up, we switch back over to uh, a new day at this fancy fucking estate that Susie Q lives in. Mm -hmm. Uh, She's on the phone again with Joseph. So I, I mentioned the like creator commentary quotes that are on every uh, uh, wiki page for, for JoJo episodes. Oh, yeah. And this one mentions, it, it answers a question that I don't think anybody asked. <laughs> there, there's a, a line about how, oh, we, we always figured that Joseph and Susie lived just in the top floors and the whole building was rented out to other tenants. They, they didn't live in the entire building. Like, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. how it works. 
Yeah, man. Who in the world would think anything different than that? Yes, the JoJo building. So yeah, Joseph's on the phone trying to you know reassure that Susie Q that you know nothing weird's going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, sure, yeah, my grandson's here with me. I'm taking him with me on my work trip. Is bring your son to work day or whatever. The the word choice is interesting and tripped me up a little bit because Susie keeps talking about it as work while Joseph uses the word mission, and I'm wondering yeah. if Susie thinks that his supernatural adventures are just kind of part of the the job or Mm. if joseph often talks about his like real estate business in terms of being a mission (laughs) so Susie q really wants to talk to her grandson again so jotaro gets on the phone you know and she's just telling jotaro like please take you know take good care of my of my husband Mm mm-hmm the, the Joestar men are super, very courageous, very strong. They can overcome whatever it is, you know, they need to overcome. And she, she gets, like, really serious. Jojo gets a little confused, like, okay, what are you talking about, Grandma? And before, she, you know, he can get any explanation, she's like, okay, bye, and just hangs up. <laughs> it's very clear at this point that, that Jojo does, he has learned to love a family. He he. Mm-hmm. Will- put this scene in a little time machine and sent it back to me 35 minutes ago. There you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, with, with the the phone call over, Grandma Susie, you know, j- just continues on her day. She, she walks uh, to the other side of the room with the same ass-sway walk she had crashing yes. Joseph's funeral. Hot Grandma. Hot Grandma. <laughs> And and she she looks over some some of the old photos and there, there's a bit of a comedy note where uh, Rosas thinks that oh she knows everything now everything's clear no they're they're still calling it a, a plain old non supernatural business trip he still has to keep the secrets it's just that like JoJo's interning with Gramps I guess yeah but she picks up a picture that. Because genes are so strong in this family, it took me a minute to figure out who it was. <laughs> it's a picture of like young teen or preteen Jotaro with his mother, Holly. But yeah. because he's wearing like a button up shirt and suspenders and has black hair, I thought, who's that blonde with Jonathan? Yeah, yeah. What? His yeah. mom was long dead. That's not his mom. Mm hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the genes are strong, for sure. And after we, we see Su- Susie Q looking over that picture, uh, we get a quick shot of Jotaro's, Jotaro's home, and we see during the night Holly sleeping. And even though, you know, she's sweating, she, she's got really bad fever and stuff, while she's sleeping, she just, like, cracks a small smile. Mm-hmm. Jotaro hangs up the phone. You know, it's, it's time to go. Yeah, it's, it's time yeah. to go finish this mission. We got to fuck up Dio. And you now know, we see real that close. in a single week, uh, Joseph has bought the most expensive car in the world, a Cessna, a super sub, and now a second car within the week. Hell yeah. And it's kind of like a, a like cool off-roading car. Like Yeah, yeah. Open top. It's got like a roll cage almost. And all the bros are hanging out of, of the, the sides, having a grand old time. And, like, Jojo is happy to see them. He cracks a smile. He even loves his found family. Yay. Yay. 
then we get a shot of all five of our, our crusaders t- together in and around this car. Th- this is the real album cover pose. Like <laughs> we, <laughs> yeah. we started with their debut album. This is their sophomore effort. They added a, a weird European like synth artist to the band to really develop their sound. That's Paul Nareff now for the second <laughs> album. Yeah. And now we, we get uh, the last time we're going to see this ending. And I'm going to miss this ending. I like the the fusion of Iraqi art with like that traditional, very intricate scalloping and tiny details of like playing cards. Yeah, those are real good. I'm excited for the next ending, though. That one's very different from all the like endings we've had, ending credit things we've had for JoJo so far. But it's real good. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a nice change, but... Yeah, the Walk Like Egyptian one is really good. But it's the end of the season. If we were watching this live in 2014, we wouldn't get to see the next episode until 2015. Oh, man. So they got to give us a little tease. Yep. We got helicopter dudes. Yeah, we got two Speedwagon guys wearing uh, Speedwagon hats who look real smug to be flying this helicopter. And behind uh, them is a tarp. And the tarp moves. And you see a big, beautiful blue eyeball under the tarp. And then we, we cut to our sepia tone to be continued, which changes the contrast just right. So you can tell that's a dog under that tarp. There's, there's a, a dog. There's a tarp dog. There's a tarp dog. A Speedwagon dog. What's this dog about? This is how they end this season. There's a dog. Like, and a okay, okay, I know. It's not, it was one continuous thing that you split in half lengthwise, which isn't necessarily uh, an intended breaking point story wise. I get it, I get it. But you're telling me, you're mm-hmm. telling me that the addition of this dog is as momentous as fishing Dio's super coffin <laughs> out of the ocean? <laughs> Maybe These not are as on important. par for you. <laughs> Maybe not as important, but that dog is important. That must be a hell of a dog. Yeah. We are officially at the halfway point of Stardust Crusaders. What do you think? I know we're, we're going to have like a recap episode, but what do you think? Early Stardust Crusaders is like a strong setup, then it finds a, a groove, right? Mm-hmm. And I've appreciated how much late early Stardust Crusaders is like recognizing that groove and looking for ways to to jostle out of it or or mix it up. Yeah. I hear like like the scuttlebutt on the ground, the the like the 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 standard take is that now they're in Egypt, this is when JoJo's really begins. <laughs> I suppose so. Yeah, the the second half of Stars Crusaders is you know how like the Hanged Man was a really good set of two episodes? Mm-hmm. All these episodes, the second half, get much closer just to being that good. More hanged man, less wheel of fortune. Yeah, yeah. I can't really think of any major parts of the second half from just like eh, that's kind of a forgettable one they're all pretty good from what i remember and there, there's a couple very like kind of iconic memorable ones in the second half too them I'm, I'm really excited to get to i'm very excited for you to see the dog <laughs> <laughs> i mean technically i have seen the dog he's he's in our cover image for for oh, uh, that's part true. three <laughs> that's right yes he is <laughs> i have seen a different artist's interpretation of this dog i yes <laughs> Yeah, I guess uh, further thoughts here. We're going to have to save for the, the the recap here, which I'm excited to do. Which will come at you next week. We have uh, mm-hmm. another brand new never heard, never heard before on this show guest uh, to, to talk about Q2 of Stardust Crusaders. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to review the, the, the financials and mm. uh, 
employee trading uh, on your stock options is frozen for a two-week period mm-hmm. per FTC guidelines. Looking at all the costs here, there's a lot of vehicles that were bought. And I don't... <laughs> Can you justify all these purchases? Like, I don't see how you need a car, a plane, another car, car rentals, and a, a submarine. Like uh, Joseph Joestar looks at uh, the bottom line and screams, Ho! Small pause. Lee, long pause. Shit! <laughs> Oh, one quick thing I want to point out. I like that the the guys seeing the helicopter, the Speedwagon guys, on their hat, there's like a logo below the, the just the word Speedwagon. Mm-hmm. And it just looks like their hats have a dra- the like seven star Dragon Ball. <laughs> it's just a Dragon Ball with, with stars in it. They still got Santana down there. I don't oh trust my God. Them. God, yeah. The Santana is still probably just under UV light. Hope the power never goes out. <laughs> It's okay. Santana doesn't have a stand. How big a deal can he be? Oh, my God. There are a lot, like a lot of times, if you're trying to look up something for like part two or part three or something like that, very frequently, you'll just find subreddits or something where just endless conversations of how powerful would cars be if he had a stand? (laughs) Just lots of people wondering what the pillar man would be like if they also had stands. I mean, not great, right? Because the stand is all in how you use it. Mm hmm. And I feel like no matter what Cars' stand would be, he would just make it like really strong and really direct mm. and and it'd be very scary until anyone looks at it sideways. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Until you prank it. Yeah. It's still very fun to just think about no matter what episode of JoJo you're watching, uh, Cars is in space, really, really pissed off that he's and in space. And that's why people don't want to rewatch part one when, when they go back. Because they, they can't have that thought. <laughs> yeah. They have to instead think Cars is in Italy. <laughs> <laughs> He's sleeping right now. Cars can't come to the phone right now. He's stuck in a wall. Yeah. They haven't invented Nazism yet, so nobody wants to touch him. <laughs> just wait, though. Just wait. And like I really like the High Priestess fight. Yeah. But I feel like, I feel like in the community, at least, High Priestess is never brought up. Hmm. I never. I, it, it feels like not an unpopular episode, but it feels just like not memorable to the fan base at large. If anything, it's like a case of well-executed fundamentals, right? Like all yeah. the pieces are there; they all work. I can understand it not standing out for for any individual thing being particularly cool, mm-hmm. but everything works and it all hangs together and i like the reveals i like the twists i think Mm -hmm. uh high priestess is fun to look at as it does mischief (laughs) very very good no i i enjoyed this one a lot i can understand it fading into the background is like a b tier one that doesn't get a lot of talk all told Mm -hmm. but turn off your ranking brain and just look at it on its own terms. I like this one quite a bit. It's fun. Yeah, Yeah. I like it. So we will see you next time uh, uh, with our guest with a a list of talking points. Uh, So until (laughs) then, to be continued. See you later, everybody.